0: So when you sort of stretch folks to think about that, what happens is they have to start to drop all of the language that they've learned already, right? Like all of the jargon, all of the stuff that they kind of learned is their like tagline and their presentations and their 30 second pitches and like all of that kind of stuff. It goes out the window. The second, you start asking those questions, you're gonna go in lots of different directions. So, you know, what's been interesting is by doing something like that and asking all those questions, It's very easy to come up with a ton of language that basically are kind of these, like, they start fires in
1: people's brains. This is Show Your Business Who's Boss. Listen in on behind-the-scenes, unfiltered conversations with my favorite business owner friends who take charge and make their businesses work for them. Don't just be your own boss. Show your business who's boss. I'm Pia Silva. On today's episode, I'm chatting with an old friend from my networking days who I consider to be the king of networking and connecting, badass business owner, Michael Roderick. Michael is the CEO of Small Pond Enterprises, which helps thoughtful givers become thought leaders by making their brands referable, their messages memorable, and their ideas unforgettable. He's also the host of the podcast Access to Anyone, which shows you how you can get to know anyone you want in business and in life using time-tested relationship-building principles. And Michael's background is pretty unique. He went from being a high school English teacher to a Broadway producer in under two years, and then he finally shifted into the entrepreneur that he is today. We have a really juicy conversation in store with lots of takeaways, so keep a pen and pad nearby. A few things that we chat about include a trick for eliminating the jargon from your brand and pitch, what it means to find the Celine in your business, which will probably be the most memorable point you'll take away from today, and you'll see why soon, and a brilliant, simple, must-ask question that you should put at the end of every presentation you give from now on. I know I will. So buckle up, here we go. Hey, Michael, great to see you. Great to see you as well. How have you been? Uh, You know, it's been a year. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think but everybody's doing, saying that, right? <laughs> yeah, but I'm doing I'm doing uh relatively great. So yeah. I don't know. How about you?
0: <laughs> very very similar, right? It's uh it's definitely it's it's definitely been a year and I think with any sort of parenting type of situation, it's such a different it's such a different deal. Than when you were able to just like drop your kid off or go to the playground or like, like there are so many things that we kind of sort of took for granted. Right. And it's just like, oh, yes. yeah, I'll, I'll just pass my. And, and now it's like you're just you're you're always on. It seems <laughs> uh, as a parent. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: So what's been going on? It's been a while. The last time I saw you was out South by Southwest in uh, Austin. That was like a couple of years ago.
0: Yeah. We saw each other at, uh, I think it was um, social media week because we were both, uh, we were both speaking and that was the very first time I had ever actually done a talk on this uh, referable brand concept. So that was like the very, very earliest, like, like I have this kind of idea and I'm not quite sure sort of like where it's going to go, but people seem to really like it. So I, I guess I'll, you know, talk about it. And that's been the thing that's really just sort of um, taken off where where people are very interested in this idea and this concept of referability and uh, specifically the breakdown of it. And I would say over the past couple of years, it's really been refining it and looking at just all of the things that I've learned about why we become referable basically why people end up talking about us in that sort of referral sense, not just word of mouth where basically, you know, word of mouth can sort of be good or bad. Whereas if you have referability, it's like people know exactly what to say to -hmm. their friends. Um, and that's, that's been really interesting to just kind of look at the, the differences of those things and, and flesh out those ideas.
1: So, uh, you're the you're the super connector to me right I've known mm-hmm. you for a long time and you it's always been you have been at the top of the pyramid in terms of like somebody who knows everybody who's an amazing connector y- you you ran connector con yep I was part of your networking group back in the day that also had the word connector in it maybe yeah
0: mm-hmm. it was called web spinners and yeah it was uh, the idea was that you focused on things other than just the professional right that you could uh-huh. you could ask for a, a professional referral or some opportunity but you could also just like let people know sort of like what was going on with you and what you could use help with um, on you know from a personal standpoint or if there was something going on that had nothing to do really with your business, like who would it be helpful for you to know?
1: You're probably at the core of a lot of, you are at the core of a lot of my, uh, closest friends. (laughs) Like I met Ciara Pressler through you. I met, Mm -hmm. uh, Michael Jordan through you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Jeff Madoff through you. Um, yeah, you're, you're a super connector. Okay. So, so that, that was your focus and this is not, not that, but it's like a more specific version of it. So, so how yeah. did that evolve and, and, is, and is that what your, the referable brand concept, is that what you have been focused on exclusively and what do you really mean by I'm focused on that now?
0: So basically um, what I discovered was that for a long time, I really thought that all of the networking piece of things, like the connecting aspect of things was the reason I ended up in all of the rooms I ended up in. And I started seeing just a lot of really sketchy stuff in the networking world where people were trying to sort of sell people on the idea of like, I'll teach you how to meet somebody famous and then you'll suddenly make millions of dollars. And I didn't wanna end up sort of in that camp, right? Like I didn't want to have that be the value proposition um, because the last thing you want is for people to be like, oh, well, you know a lot of people, so I wanna know you what I often like to say is that people love to feel useful and they hate to feel used. And I knew that if I sort of kept myself in this place, it would be more of like people being like, I'm going to hire you to, uh, you know, help me uh, meet these like top level people. And then if it doesn't work out, it was almost like a PR kind of position in a lot of, in a lot of ways where you can't really make a, you can't make a strong promise. So, so I asked myself, Simply, if networking was out of the equation, if I actually took out everything that I knew about networking, what still got me in those rooms? And what I realized was it was because people would talk about me when I wasn't in the room in a good way. So that's where it started to it, it started to come from. And I was like, you know what? I wonder if there's something to sort of packaging your ideas in a way that people talk about them when you're not there. And that's really where this started. And it was kind of this um, I was doing one of my networking workshops and I took about 15 minutes to talk about this referable brand concept in it as sort of an experiment. And I was just like, Hey guys, you know, this is some thing that I think is kind of interesting. And at the end of that workshop I offered people the opportunity to do hot seats and everybody wanted their hot seat to be on referable brand. So since I had built all of these frameworks before around relationship building frameworks that people to this day still remember, and mm. will come to me and say, I, I remember the four ways to think about asking, or I've, you know, I remember the giver's fix and like all these different, you know, concepts. I said, okay, well, what if I started to look at referability and I started to develop frameworks around referability? But the very interesting thing about that was the second that I was able to help folks look at that language and figure out how do you take your intellectual property and sort of package it. Um, all of a sudden, that became an easier thing to sell. So folks were way more interested in creating a referable brand for themselves. And I had framed it as, you know, helping a thoughtful giver become a thought leader. So mm-hmm. people that are really good at giving, they're really good at supporting others, they're usually really bad at packaging their own intellectual property.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: if you sort of come in and help them with that, all of a sudden, they can sell their product for more, they get more people to talk about it, more people want to interview them. So there's just way more tangible things that happen as a result of this idea of referability. Whereas networking is sort of a black box. Like in uh, connecting and relationship building, you just kind of never know what the results could be. So somebody could hire you and you could be the best at actually teaching people these principles. But the fact of the matter is, there were so many variables in, t- in terms of how successful they are. But you can't argue if you help somebody create a framework that then gets them a bunch of attention and interviews and changes a $500 product to a $5,000 product.
1: Yep. It's so funny because, you know, I've always been the branding person, right? The badass branding person, but... The real turn in our business was when we packaged our services in 2014. Like, it was night and day. It went from proposals to this is our service, take it or leave it, and it was like so much easier to sell, so much easier for people to refer. Like, didn't have to do marketing. People were just sending me people because, oh, they build your whole brand in a day. That was super easy to to explain. Oh, there's a price you know, there's a price. Oh, it's on their site. Oh, you literally know exactly what it is. It's so easy. Um, and it was an it was just a a complete game changer for us. And it's so funny. They're even saying this because as a um, branding person, you know, people come to me for branding, but that's a huge part of what I do for them too, because it's like, well, that makes your brand awesome.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And And package services. Yeah. And and so often we're just so we're so close to it that we have all this language that other people I I call them container words where it's like Uh we hear the word and it's basically like everybody is like yeah I know that word but I there's like 50 different definitions for what it means right yeah brand is at the
1: top of that list (laughs) exactly
0: exactly so so a lot of the time what I'll tell people is that you have to take the container you have to open it up and find the contents and you have to Mm -hmm. say like okay if you couldn't use that word which word would you use yeah right and all of a sudden End up with a bunch of really, really interesting words, and then you can kind of create like a language sandbox where you can just sort of like play around and come up with titles names all these different types of things but you Mm -hmm. first got to step away from that aspect of the container words and i think that Mm -hmm. so often that's kind of where people start because they see other people doing something and they say oh well yes i want to be you know i want to be that leadership expert or whatever the scenario is and it's like well but what is leadership actually mean to you? And are you actually doing leadership, right? Like all of these questions that that pop up when you actually really sit down and say, okay, well, what is it that you're actually doing, you know, for people? Um, I have refer referred to it as giving yourself an F, right? Where it's like, um, so often we spend the time trying to be like, this is what I do. And we don't spend enough time being like, this is what I do for, right? This is how I'm helping this person. This is what I'm actually doing for this individual. And once we do that, it's way easier to sell because people are like, oh, okay, you can do that. Just like your your example where it's like, you know, we can build your brand in a day basically right was the was sort of the value was the value proposition there for for people it was so much easier for them to just like go to somebody and say like oh okay that's that's exactly how it works and that's what it will do for me as opposed to here's all our templates and here's all the things that we can do or let us know what we can do for you and we'll figure it out
1: Right, the worst one.
0: Oh man! (laughs) Sounds
1: like the best one is actually the worst one when you're asking the client, "What do you want? I can do everything."
0: Yes, and and it's so interesting because people will sort of frame it as like customization. Yes. You know, and be like, "Oh, it's a customized package, and it's all for you," and they think that they're helping somebody, but really, what they're doing is they're creating um, the "What do you want to have for dinner?" conversation that you have with your spouse, right? Where it's like, "Well, I." I, I, you know, I'm thinking pizza. Well, I don't really like pizza. Um, you know, do you want to do Thai? Well, maybe Thai. You know, and you're going back and forth, and nobody wants to have <laughs> so that good. conversation with a client. You know,
1: <laughs> that's so good. That's exactly what it is, and that's why people, people and clients struggle so much to find a meeting of the minds because yes. they're having the dinner conversation. That is exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can I, can I, um, go back and just highlight something you said? I think that yeah. is very important. Um when you are using a word, you said leadership. I think that's a perfect example, right? Lots of people Mm -hmm. are selling leadership. Actually, many more people than use the word leadership are selling leadership, actually, (laughs) because leadership is at the core of a lot of what we're all selling. Um, But what you said, um, and I I just want to emphasize this to to our listeners, um, is Okay, but what do you mean by leadership? What's your definition of that? That's a great exercise. Um, I'm working with a, a couple of people right now. One of them was using the word bland um, and and you know talking about branding and a bland brand. and I said, you know, yeah that's a great word, but it will have so much more meaning if you tell me what you mean by bland, because actually people have very different definitions of bland, oh, yeah. um, but your defining of it will be the nuance that gives your brand more um, chutzpah, you know, yeah. <laughs> like more color, and so that we don't, because a lot, similarly with my badass word, it's like, I'll, I've said it before, I'll say it again, in 2013, Man, where was that edgy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In 2021, <laughs> everyone throws this word around, and sometimes it's just a throwaway word somewhere on the home, somewhere on the website, but it doesn't have a lot of meaning because it's just like, oh yeah, and then we're gonna, and it's gonna be so badass, and you know. Yeah. It's like, but what do you really mean?
0: <laughs> Ex- exactly. So a lot of the time we're thinking about. Um, the idea of sort of like ideal target client and ideal market. But what most people forget about is that each market actually has a different level of sophistication. So you could find your ideal target client. But if their level of marketing is so sophisticated that they've heard the word badass 80 80- times, it's actually not going to have the same resonance with somebody who's not heard that word before or not even been marketed to in that particular way. And a lot of the time, that's what happens with words. After a while, a new word or a word that we think is you know, edgy and different and all these different types of things actually starts to become common because the market becomes so sophisticated to that particular word mm-hmm. in much the same way that in early advertising, we could see one sign and we might actually go and buy. Whereas now we need so many impressions to even consider buying and sort of go through that process right? And, and I mean, people used to buy just seeing something as simple as, you know, 50% off. And they would be like, wow, 50% off, I'm going to buy. And now everybody is, is saying, okay, but, but what is the actual value here? And you have to con- consistently think about how is your market becoming more sophisticated? And how is your language sort of starting to match that market, right? And starting to become more interesting to that market. So if they already know about a concept, and let's, let's just say like a basic marketing concept. So a very basic marketing concept is the idea of sort of like that timer clock, like time ticking down the scarcity type of dynamic. So if everybody's seen some kind of scarcity dynamic, then you have to think about what is your way of presenting that scarcity dynamic that is true to who you are, first off, and second, that isn't gonna feel like it's just another person throwing scarcity at them, mm-hmm. right? how are you going to craft it how are you going to craft that craft that message are you the person who says well you know the reason why there's only this many of this particular thing is because i'm actually going to be very rigorous as far as who actually gets in And we're going to do like three interviews instead of one, you know, call to see if it's a fit, right? Like you want to think about what is your way of creating, you know, of dealing with that level of sophistication. Because people are just going to keep getting more sophisticated to the marketing messages and to the language that we put out there. So it's up to us to start figuring out, okay, how do we come up with those little shifts that are going to cause people to say, oh, okay. Um, you're doing it, but you're doing it just slightly different enough that I'm interested now. Um, because I want to see like what it means and and how you're coming up with it.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a great point. And, and I'll add to that, that if you are doing it from an authentic, genuine place, that's usually how you find those, right? If you're trying yep. to think, well, how do I change this so that people don't know that it's, uh, you know, counting down or it's, you know, a fake scarcity. Yep it's gonna be different than, you know, the, I would say the easiest way to do that is to just genuinely have a really intense filter that's, that you keep to, um, sure. and that that's tough, you know? <laughs> sure. I did a I I launched a program um, like a month and a half ago, and I kept to that filter, and it was tough. There were people who wanted in, and I was like, this is just, it's just not, For you, I don't know what else to say. And it's hard to say goodbye to that money too. When you're like, I want people in. I want to help people. I know I could help you, but not in this context. But that's the easiest way to have a kind of genuine um, scarcity or whatever it is. Yeah,
0: and you're pointing out what's what's probably one of the most uh, what I consider one of the most important things. And this is the most important thing in relationship building uh, as well, which is you have to curate. You have to decide. Who gets, who gets in, you know, who is part of that circle because everybody is going to be talking to each other, helping each other, supporting each other, and one person coming in who doesn't get it or who is, you know, going to really just cause a lot of issues and a lot of challenges could ruin things for so many other people and it's not that and and i think it's really important because i i think a lot of time people hear the idea of curating and think well oh you're pushing people out or you're saying you're too good for people and all this other stuff and it's actually not it's actually about saying where is this like is this really going? is everybody going to actually benefit together or is this going to cause like a lot of conflict and a lot of issues with this particular with this particular group? Because for some people, you do them the biggest disservice by letting them into a program or letting them into a process of an audience that's going to make them feel like the pariah, that's going to make them feel, and you're not even the one, you're not doing it. You're not saying, hey, this person's bad or this person has, has this issue. If it's not a match, those people are going to, They're going to know it instantly and they're going to naturally start to be like, oh, I'm going to kind of stay away from, you know, I'm going to stay away from that one. And it's just, I, I don't know, I, I really do think it's just a disservice to bring people into something just because you want more people, mm. you know, in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually that also ties, I, I talk about this a lot in just the, the world of relationship building as well. We focus so much on relationship acquisition that we forget about the importance of relationship retention where it's like we we figure out, you know, we want to meet as many people as possible, connect with as many people people as possible, build your network, you know, all those things, but ultimately where the real opportunities come from is when the relationships get deeper and that only happens if you spend time with people and you get to know them over time. So, taking the time to say okay, I'm going to spend more than one meeting with somebody and get to know them over time is so, so valuable. And so many people don't even pay attention to that, that aspect at all.
1: Okay, Michael, two things. Who has the time? <laughs> you know, you saw me. Because you and I were I mean, I was out there networking and I would see you everywhere because you were everywhere. And for a short stint, I was also everywhere. And then I don't know if you noticed, but then I just disappeared because I was like, I can't keep this up. I'm tired. And I, you know, I have I also have friends who are not in this networking world that I would like to cultivate relationships with and all these things. So what do you suggest for that? What are we supposed to do? We don't have time. You have two kids. How do you do that? Yeah, no.
0: Exactly. Um, so it really comes down to an aspect of uh, leveraging as opposed to trading. So most of the time, when we think about staying in touch with people and contacting them, we think we, we immediately go to I've got to do a one-on-one call with them. I've got to you know I've got to do a catch-up call with them, and all these different types of things. But there are all these leveraged opportunities to be able to catch up with people and give your network also a chance to meet each other. So. In numerous instances, what I do, uh, because, yeah, I don't have the time, uh, you know, always to do like one on ones and and catch up with catch up with friends and things. A lot of the time what I'll do is I'll co-host some gathering with a bunch of, you know, with a bunch of people who I haven't seen in a while. And I'll basically be like, you know, you guys should meet each other. You guys should get to know each other. And then sometimes they'll come and they'll sort of catch up with me, right? Um, and we'll get a chance to we'll get a chance to chat. If there's something that we want to chat about specifically, and we want to, you know, set up time for one on one, that's great, and we can always do it. But there's still sort of that touch point, right? Um, the other thing that works really well is um, I call it the uh, my OCG framework, where basically if something comes my way. Um, and I can take full advantage of it, and it really does fit within my wheelhouse, then it's truly an opportunity. So if somebody reaches out and says, you know, we want you to talk about referability at this conference or at this event or at this summit. Fantastic. You know, that that's great. I'll make that t- time for that. But then somebody might come to me and say, "Hey Mike, um, you know, would love for you to come and talk about social media at my, you know, at my event." And I'm not really a social media guy. Like I understand it, I do some decent work, but rather than sort of trying to like shoehorn a talk in, what I'll do is I'll ask okay, which of the people in my circle are really, really good at social media, who this could be a real opportunity for, because the opportunity that came to me is not an opportunity, it's a coincidence, right? So I can take that coincidence and I can turn it into a gift, right, OCG. So I can basically say, like here, To somebody in my network, here's this talk or here's this presentation that I'm not able to do or that doesn't, you know, that doesn't fit for me. Or if I get invited to an event, you know, you get a lot of free tickets to events and there are things where it's like you just can't do it. So you reach out to somebody who maybe you haven't touched base with in a while and it's a way to stay in touch. It's a way to keep those relationships warm. So to your, you know, to to your question, I really think what it comes down to is look for opportunities to sort of leverage that time either by bringing people together or just having, you know, little touch base scenarios with that OCG framework and you're far more likely to keep the relationships warm.
1: Wait, what does OCG stand for? Did you say it?
0: Yep, opportunity, coincidence, gift.
1: Okay, I love that. Yes, leverage. That's the that's the name of the game. Um, now, going back to our our other conversation, we were talking about the the group setting. Mm-hmm. The word that came to mind, and then I just realized that I actually, and this is good, haven't heard this word in a while because this was like very in fashion about five ten years ago um, synergy synergy Mm -hmm. was so overused right but I actually haven't heard it that much probably because it was so overused and then people knew I can't say that word anymore it's too but you know what that's exactly what you're looking for synergy where you have a a group of people where the group is actually adding that much more value and um, one bad apple or like one person dragging it down can really take away from that synergy and that value yeah um so so tell me a little bit so are you doing Like, how do you work right now? Like, are you doing group stuff?
0: So I just finished uh, a beta test of a group program that I had, it was a nine-week thing, called it uh, Amplify Your Offer Master Lab, um, where basically what I did was I worked with a group of entrepreneurs who had offer ideas, things that they wanted to, you know, sort of put out there, and I walked them through all of these referability principles um, to basically help them figure out How they were presenting that offer to their audience and I walked them through just all the things that I had learned over the years about How do you sort of first do the research to figure out whether or not people actually want something right? Um, You know very very often what I find is is fascinating is that a lot of the time we spend so much time creating the solution that we don't spend enough time actually researching and understanding the problem Right. Mm, And being like, well, what is the actual issue here? And is it what I think it is? Right. Because I think so often an offer is created because we think, oh, well, everybody just needs this because I think this is an issue, but we don't go and actually talk to the people who would potentially buy it and say, is this an issue? Uh, and most of the time when you do go to people and say, is this an issue? They say, no, that's not my issue. This is my issue. And then you're like, oh, okay. And that really can change like how you create the language around it, like all these different types of things. So, so I kind of walk them through that process. Um, and I may do that program again, the bulk of the work that I've been doing recently that I've been really excited about is, um, I've, I've been calling it a jargon free jumpstart. Uh, mm-hmm. where basically I have this grid that I've been using uh, where I basically ask a bunch of questions and come up with about nine different ways to look at something, somebody's offer. And usually, when you look at something in multiple in multiple ways, what ends up happening is you start to find new language, right? Like you start to actually get rid of a lot of the jargon when you have people talk about it in different contexts. So, um, basically, there are kind of two main parts to the grid. The first is a concept that I actually used a lot in my um, relationship building process, uh, which was TCM, which is every single person has an index of time, connections, and money, right? Um, Those are, in essence, kind of our three currencies. We have our time, we have the relationships that we have, um, and we have the money that we spend. Um, But when you think about a business and whether or not a business is uh, a nice-to-have or a need-to-have, it really comes down to three things. It's easy to remember them because if you don't have at least one of the three, three things, you'll be sad, and that's solve a problem, alleviate pain, and decrease friction, right? So it's are you solving a problem for people that, like actually exist, you know, are you getting rid of pain? And are you do you have a process that's going to make it so that this pro that what they're doing takes less time, right, or is less aggravating or is less frustrating. So when you ask somebody, the hyper specific question of how do you solve a problem for your client in regards to time? all of a sudden they can't use a lot of the words that they were using before because they weren't necessarily thinking about what they're doing for somebody's time.
1: Can you give me an example?
0: So, um, so let's say you are an accountant, right? And as an accountant, if you ask an accountant about solving a problem, they might be like, yeah, well I do your taxes for you. And that's the problem that I solve. Right. But if I say, what's the problem that you solve specifically in regards to the client's time, then you say, well, well, you know, to do your taxes, if you try to do it on your own, could take you 30, 40, you know, hours, you know, possibly. And you could just send it to me and have it back in, you know, two days. Right. So that's a completely different way of looking at the, of looking at the offer and looking at the way that that offer is sort of, you know, presented uh, Mm. to, to people. So when you sort of stretch folks to think about that, what happens is, They have to start to drop all of the all of the language that they've learned already, right? Like all of the jargon, all of the stuff that they kind of learned as their like tagline and their presentations and their 30 second pitches and like all of that kind of stuff. It goes out the window because in many cases, it doesn't answer that question of like, how are you helping people with their time? How are you helping people with either their connections to others or their connection to themselves? And how are you helping people with their uh, issues around money? the second you start asking those questions you're going to go in lots of different directions so you know what's been interesting is by doing something like that and asking all those questions It's very easy to come up with a ton of language that basically are kind of these like they start fires in people's brains. Right. And they sort of Mm -hmm. get you being like, oh, yeah, I could I could create a product out of that or, oh, you know, that could be at the top of my website or whatever the scenario is. You know, and and a lot of the time we think about we think about creativity in the context of like being bound. Uh, being unbound, right, and be like, you know, if I'm just like, just like thinking outside the box and creating, you know, I'm gonna be like huge and creative and all this kind of stuff. But what's really fascinating is that the second that you give people boundaries, they actually become more creative. The second that you say to somebody, listen, you know, you, I want you to come up with something, but you can't say these things. All of a sudden, they have to think about all the stuff that isn't just the immediate. Right. And they have to actually come up with new ideas and new concepts. So by basically giving them some boundaries, I help them become more creative within that process.
1: I love that. I love that you um, use questions specifically. Good questions can really break somebody out of their box.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's so cool. important. We I, I feel like we don't spend enough time thinking about the questions we ask.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I really think that, you know, so so often if we just ask better questions, we can really, really transform the the language that we're using. We can transform the relationships that we have. And, you know, ultimately, I mean, even interviews, right? Interviews are interesting as a result of somebody asking really good questions, right? As a result of somebody actually listening to the other person and saying, this is the thing that I'm unclear on, or this is the thing that I want to dig deeper into, Right. And how many times do we listen to something specifically interview oriented where the host has a list of questions that they normally use? And we sort of get to this point of like, eh, you know, yeah, I guess that's OK. I guess I'll listen to it because it doesn't feel like a conversation to us anymore. It just yes. kind of feels like, you know, oh, I could I could read this. And if you if you listen to an interview and you're like, I could read this, um, then there's a problem, you know.
1: Well, this is not that. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) This is the opposite of that. (laughs) I'm in agreement in that. And I also, um, the power of asking good questions, that is like, I think, at the core of a lot of the work that any um, effective service provider is doing, is asking really good questions and then shutting up. (laughs)
0: Listening,
1: right? Yep. What a skill.
0: <laughs> I know, right? Well, it's it's one of those things where it's it, it's so, it, it is so interesting because so often we're trying to sort of tell people about our value and that is the absolute worst thing that we can do, right? And yes. if we ask really good questions and then we let them talk and then we respond to those questions with, with those answer, answers with even better questions, yes. we are showing our value like instantly. People are like, oh my God wow, you like really get me. Like you really, you're really paying attention because so many people don't, right? Like how many sales calls have you been on where the person basically like spent the whole time trying to tell you how valuable they were and you were like, well, this isn't valuable to me. Like this isn't useful to me because I don't care how many years you've been in business and I don't care, you know, about your, you know, your last, you know, huge success or, you know, all of those different types of things. I care about my issue. So like, are we talking about that? or Are we talking about you?
1: Yeah. And I, it's actually, I I find that it's really a newbie mistake too, Mm -hmm. because, and it, I think it comes from, uh, oh, well, I'll speak for myself. I think it came from insecurity, right? Like I don't, sure. like when you're starting out, I didn't feel like I knew enough. So I feel like I had to prove to people that I did know enough. So why well, do you do that? Well, you start talking and trying to explain things to them. And, yep. you know, oh, oh, I'm so embarrassed. Like, especially in the branding world specifically, because you no, let me explain how important branding is. Like yep, exactly. The you worst want them conversation. Them to know. Yeah. Right, but they're, because they don't know. <laughs> yep. Because they don't know. Let's be honest, nobody yep. really knows. So yep. you're like, no, no, no. But I kind of, I, I remember Steve and I, we literally have this book that's like, explains what branding is. <laughs> I remember like reading it and being like, okay, I need to understand this so I can go tell people. Um, just such the, such the, I don't say wrong, it's just ineffective. It's like so yep. much better, to your point, like a great question with a great follow-up question and then somebody else talking and telling you, they will feel your expertise and understanding by the thoughtful follow-up questions. That's how they feel understood. And that is, there's n- what, what do we all want as humans? We just wanna be heard and understood. Like if you can really just um, sit back and let somebody talk, they will love you and they will trust you. As yeah. the person that truly understands them and that's how you get hired.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the time what what I like to say is that you can't underestimate the significance of making someone else feel significant. Mm. Right. And and the thing is so often people don't feel significant in a lot of sales conversations, in a lot of business conversations. Heck, in a lot of mastermind groups, right? There are lots of mastermind groups out there where, where people, there are people sitting in that group thinking this person doesn't actually care about me. I'm just a number, you know, to them. Right. And if you're the person who really takes the time to show that you're listening, to show that you care, to pay attention to what people, what people are saying, you instantly stand out from so, so many, because it's not, it's, it's not a skill That is taught, right? Like it's not something like you don't go into your first business class or, you know, learn any kind of like online thing that says, hey, make sure people feel like people when Mm -hmm. you're, you know, talking to them about your product or talking to them about your service. When I used to raise money for Broadway shows, the number one question I got all the time how do you find investors? And my answer is always the same you stop calling them investors mm-hmm. and they have all sorts of different things that they care about and that they love and that they want. So understand who they are, understand whether or not this is something that is of interest to them, that matters to them. And if they want to have further conversation about it, have further conversation about it. If they don't, you're never going to convince them. And, and I think in business it's the same way. I, I you know, I get all these, you know, LinkedIn, messages and and now it's happening on the book of faces a bunch too where like somebody will friend you uh, and they'll be like, you know, hey, you know just want to know like how's your health going you know during quarantine or or, or whatnot? and you're like, uh, I don't know, I've got two kids and I, I think I drink enough water. Like what, you know, eh, eh. and the next thing you know, they're like, you know, they're, they're like, well, you know, I've got a program or I've got this thing and I can help you with your health. And all. and it's just like, well, okay, well now I'm not talking to you, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. But the thing is, you know, going back to that market sophistication idea, right? It's like, now there are literally bots that are asking us these questions, right? There, there there are instances where people are automating follow-ups to be like, I you know wanted to check and see if you got my free checklist or or whatever after you add them as, as a friend or whatever. and and you're like, I, I didn't even respond to you. Like I'm not interested in this right. checklist. Like why?
1: <laughs> okay, so here's so I will freely admit that I have not done that system. yet. So this is not from my personal experience, but this is from my experience coaching people who have implemented some version of this. This is my take on that world. Um, When you're a referable brand, right? So you're super Mm -hmm. specific in your profile. You work with a very clear niche. What you have to offer is very specific. That bot situation, that, that like systematized thing is to find the 5% of people who are like, Sweet, this checklist was awesome, and that's it. You know, yep. and we don't care that Michael Roderick is annoyed with us. Yep. <laughs> and we don't care that Pia ignored our email, uh, our message. All you know, because all we care about is that five percent, ten percent. I don't know what the numbers are. Yeah. I Haven't done it. Yeah. And that's the game. But it, it and it only works if you're super specific in what you're offering, so that the people who are gonna respond and go like, "Oh yeah, this is exactly what I need." are able to have that experience. Because if you're just like, I'm a coach, it's like, huh, okay, you and everyone else. Um, but if, you know, it's like, I coach, uh, I don't know, 50-year-old yoga instructors. <laughs> like, <laughs> and if you're a 50-year-old yoga instructor, you're like, I need that 50-year-old yoga instructor checklist. <laughs> we
0: can go on podcasts and we can have conversations and we can say like, you know, this has worked for us or this has been useful or these are the things that we believe are, work, right? But ultimately, everybody has to figure out what actually works for them. There are people who, yes, that, those bots are the thing for them and they work for them and that is totally fine for them right we can disagree with it we can not like it ourselves like we can be annoyed by these types of things but i think you know i think the danger in most of the sort of entrepreneur world personal development world is believing that somebody else has the like actual answer mm-hmm. right in Broadway, we used to talk about the fact that like, nobody knows anything. When we would talk about like, you're trying to see, figure out if a show is going to succeed. And honestly, in entrepreneurship, nobody knows anything, right? Like Mm. we are always basically doing market research on what works and what doesn't. And the market is constantly getting more sophisticated. So it's always changing, Mm. right? So I talk about this uh, all the time too. It's like, I call it tennis novice versus the tennis pro concept, right? So if a tennis novice misses a shot, the game is over, right? Because they are obsessed with the product. They're hoping that they they win, and if they don't, if there's a, a, a barrier to them winning, they're in their own head and they're gonna mess up, right? But the tennis pro misses a shot and basically says, okay, this is new information, what can I learn? Sort of where can I go next? How can I figure it out? And that's because the tennis pro is a student of the process, right? So if we just sort of put ourselves in that place of, I'm a student of the process, I'm testing these things out and I'm, I'm learning sort of all the time, then we don't worry if something falls apart, you know, and I, I, write, I write a daily email, right? And mm-hmm. I, think this, I think this concept applies in business. I think this concept applies across the board. So people ask, how do you write every day? And what I always tell them is I give myself permission to suck. So basically, I understand that I can't be consistent and brilliant. There's absolutely no way, right? You know, some things are just gonna be better than others, right, some things I'm gonna write and people are gonna be responding and really be interested in, and some things I'm gonna write and it's gonna get crickets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I never have any idea because the market's gonna decide that. They're gonna figure out sort of what they want or, or what they don't. So basically, you know, just as you give without expectation of return, you write without expectation of response. And when you write without expectation of response, then you stop worrying about what you're writing about. Like you stop worrying about like, how are people gonna react and what are they gonna think, you know, and all this stuff. And then you just write. You just mm-hmm. put that stuff out there, put that idea out there. And so, so often you'll think, oh, this thing is kind of a throwaway. And that's the thing everybody wants. That's nuts.
1: It's so <laughs> crazy when that happens. I, yep. You know, the, the thing that I keep that i struggle with and i'm curious what your experience is with this is mm-hmm. that often happens mm-hmm. because the things that are dear to my heart that i work on are the things that i am most struggling with working on in that moment mm-hmm. which might be i'm saying more advanced but like you had to go through a couple of things to get to wherever that is sure so i'm so I, it's near and dear to my heart because I'm wrestling with that very thing and I feel like oh I figured it out and now I'm sharing it and, and like here you go, you know, but may but it's the things often that are a little like more like something I would have written a couple of years ago that are received better For obvious reasons, right? Like if you're where I was a couple of years ago, then that's what you're going to receive But I have a really hard time getting into that mind space and writing for that because I'm self-critical about it like oh well everyone already knows this or like oh, everyone's yeah. heard this a million times and I and I go around in circles I mean this is just yeah. a little insight into my brain going yeah. around in yeah. circles trying to create this content
0: so when I'm talking about referability there are ma- like three main concepts that you mm-hmm. always have to consider and it's easy to remember cuz it spells the word aim so you want to think about taking aim when you're creating a referable brand and uh, the first is accessibility, the second is influence, and the third is memory. Um, so what you're talking about is one of the most common problems in accessibility. Uh, and the fat, so the way I like to frame it is, I call it finding your Celine. So there's this really great story that was uh, in the book, The Power of Habit, um, where they talk oh, about book. the fact um, that when Hey Ya first came out, basically people shut it off almost immediately. And the reason for it was Mm -hmm. the sound was so different that it just like, it didn't sound like all the other pop songs. It didn't start like all the other pop songs. It didn't have that. So people turned it off right away because it wasn't familiar to them.
1: We're talking about hey, uh, the outcast song. Yes,
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, So, yeah. So, so basically what they did, which was genius, was they would put, uh, Celine Dion first, then Hey Ya, and then something like Maroon 5. Because artists who have songs that all sound the same, it feels comfortable to us. So like if mm-hmm. you've heard a Celine Dion song, they all sound very, very similar. They all have a similar bridge, you know, so it's a comfortable yes. listen. So what happened was the unfamiliar eventually became familiar because it, it basically the audience was kind of weighted into that innovation. And entrepreneurs do this all the time. We are constantly at the cutting edge of innovation, but the audience that doesn't know us yet, they're not ready for our level of innovation. Like they're not ready for the, ba- you know, for the, for the big stuff because they're in th- their now is our before, mm. right? So, like where they are now is where we were before, where we were trying to sort of figure things out before we actually found the innovation. So we have to find our Celine. like we have to go and figure out like, what is that concept that to us feels like, duh, everybody should know this. And then once they're in, based off of that concept, we can start introducing them to the innovation, right? So very, very often when we come up with an innovation, we, we wanna go full on because we have all of this knowledge and we're like, wow, you know, this is so fascinating and this is so interesting. But so many people are like, wait, 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 slow down. What, like, what happened before? So very, very often what we need to do is we need to sort of tease the innovation as opposed to spending an entire article on it, right? And just get people to just like have that slight moment of thinking differently. Right. And, and, and that's kind of the core difference. You know, if you think about thought leadership in, in particular, that's the core difference between the thought leaders and like the thought follow the leaders. Right. Um, the thought leaders get you to actually think differently. The thought follow the leaders are basically just like recycling other people's, you know, uh, other people's stuff and trying to tell you how to do things. Mm. Right. If somebody's trying to tell you how to do things, they're they're basically just sort of like, you know, being like, okay, here's the, here's the breakdown, you know, kind of thing. They're not really giving you a new thought, but if, if somebody gives you a new way to think, you're like, oh, wow. And now you can actually go forward into the innovation. So a lot of the time it's about finding that Celine, introducing the new idea, and then bringing your audience through to, uh, to the innovation, uh, rather than hitting them all at once. And this happens in messaging all the time where people will think that they're being innovative, think that they're coming up with like the coolest name ever. And they're really just alienating the heck out of people because they don't understand anything about what the other person's talking about. They're like, but you don't understand. It's this, this, and this. And it's like, nope, you got to start with an anchor. Like people need something to latch onto. This is why startups for, for years when they were pitching their companies would say something like we're the Uber for like little teacup dogs.
1: Right. Yeah anchor it that is so much harder than just explaining
0: oh yeah like
1: what it is that you're um, figuring out it's um it, it reminds me of this principle that steve and i uh stumbled on a while ago called maya have you ever heard of the maya principle uh, most uh, what is it it's a um, most advanced yet acceptable and it's basically this, mm. uh, this idea of like you want to go as far as you can get it still familiar enough that people can adopt it essentially yep. but to your point like how do we um, not go so far away and I think I do this sometimes like not just like runaway train and you have to get to back to the core of like what's your motivation like I know myself well enough and I have done enough Uh, personal development, you know, self-awareness work to know like, oh, what are things that are very important to you? I think I've said this on other podcasts. It's like, I know that I was raised to think like being smart, like knowing answers is very important. Like I was just raised in an environment where that was (laughs) held up as being important. So it might like inadvertently drive a lot of things. I'm, I'm like excited by the people who read like more advanced kind of ideas and give me feedback, which is like, wow, that was like you know, I don't usually read things like that. I like, I love that. Those people don't buy from me though. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's like, um, where do you split the difference? Or like, you know, you don't want to not, you don't want to, um, dampen your own creative energy and flow. And part of that work is how I work through things. I don't know about you. It's like, I have to write in order to, but at the same time, it's like, you can't really help people if you don't meet them where they are. Yeah. And find their Celine. I love that. I'm gonna remember, find your Celine. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) That's a nice anchor.
0: I'll tell you to talk about sort of like that market research side of things. When I did the first referable brand oriented workshop, I used that concept. I talked about that concept and I said just sort of offhand, find your Celine. And I didn't even realize it. Like I had just sort of said it. And at the end of the workshop, I asked people, and this is a really solid tool to always ask people, what did you remember? Right? And basically at the end I said, you know, what did you remember? What kind of stood out the most for you? What are you gonna walk away with? And I went around the room and a lot of people said, find your Celine. And I was like, okay, well that's, you know, that's a thing, right? Uh, You know, so here's a here's a little trick if you are ever in a presentation and uh, You finish and you say any questions and you get crickets, right? So one of the best things that you can do to save that moment is to say, okay I just want you to take a minute and I want you to write down one sentence one takeaway one thing that you're gonna take away from this conversation that you're gonna do that you're gonna implement that you think is useful and then you go around the room and you start asking those people what that is. And for you, that helps you figure out which part of your talk really landed. And in many cases, it could be, uh, you know, and, and this happens in business all the time, too. Sometimes your side dish becomes your main, mm. right? Where it's like you have this like little thing that you say in one of your talks, and that's the thing everybody remembers. And that could be the whole talk.
1: Mm-hmm. And we
0: forget about that all the time because we want to kind of cram everything in, right? Like we want people to know everything. Uh, and we're like, I'm going to give you all the stuff. You know, I'm going to give you all the steps. And, and sometimes it's worth it to say like, okay, what if I just took this step and I made an entire talk around it or an entire conversation around it and see how that goes?
1: That is such a great takeaway. Um, I, when I think of that, my experiences in those Um, I like your your find our Celine when I think okay what you know when was last what does that remind me of Um, you know giving a talk where one of my points was I wrote this article about Spain hashtag Spain brain and I mentioned that everybody Spain brain part of it is the concept but part of it is the anchor right there's Mm -hmm. some little phrase that summed it up really nicely and was not like you know, find the profit. <laughs> it yeah. was it was something unrelated yeah. that that actually like it's almost like the unrelatedness of it synced it together so that it created a memory in your brain. So it seems like yeah. it's the combination of um, not just what was the most powerful idea, but which idea did you really um, embody in some easy, bite-sized, memorable piece, yeah. um, which is a, a, just a, another version of what we started this conversation with, which is how, how do you make a bite-sized, memorable piece so people refer you so that it's easy yeah. to remember? I mean, it's the same concept over and over again.
0: Yeah. And, and ultimately, the way I look at it is this uh, concept of being sure to share, right? Mm. So um, basically, shortcuts get shared. Right. So if I can give you a shortcut, if I can help you understand something very, very quickly, you are way more likely to share it with other people because it will be simple for them, too. Right. But you'll share it even more if it has utility. Right. So if there is some way to use it, if there's something that it actually does, you're way more likely to share it. So a business card will get thrown out, whereas a pen will be with, a, with somebody's logo will actually be on their desk for years. Right, because it has utility. Mm. Whereas a business card has no utility, right? Um, But the R is for reputation. And if you put something together and I share it with my audience and it looks good, it makes me look like I know what I'm talking about, it adds to my reputation. It makes me look cool. So as a result, I'm building my reputation. But ultimately, the most important aspect is is it expedient? Is it easy for me to be able to share? This is why click to tweet has always done so well. Because the idea of taking the extra step of going to Twitter to coming up with the, you know, coming up with the title and the hashtag and all of that stuff is, is a barrier for people, right? So if you can think about that aspect of can you create a shortcut for people? Can you give it some kind of utility where it's like, it's really, really useful? Will it give them a reputation? And is it expedient? They're way, way more likely to share it and talk about it with their, with their friends. And ultimately, that is at the heart of influence. Because most people think of influence in the context of persuasion, right? They think about it as like, how do I get you to do something? But true influence is when you do something without me asking you to. But you're only going to do something without me asking you to if it makes you look good. So ultimately, it's whatever reward you get as a result of sharing it. So if you take the time to be like, okay, I'm going to share this and it makes me look smart, it makes me look cool, you're going to share it way faster. And the example I always love to use is the uh, the Simon Sinek uh, TED Talk, right? So everybody sort of talks about the Start With Why uh, talk. There's all of these different leadership talks. And if you think about it, all these different leadership talks, but only one leadership talk where you can go draw a circle and look smart in front of your friends in less than a minute, right? So why wouldn't you share a concept that is simple that you can just draw for people when you know, there are all of these others out there that might take you 15, 20 minutes to explain. A lot of them are just not expedient, right? Like a lot of them are just not useful enough for you to be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to share this very, very quickly. And when you create stuff like that, when you make something that causes other people to look good, you have way more influence. People will share it, talk about it, want to, you know, send people your way because they'll be like, where did you learn that? And that's one of the biggest aspects. Like you want people to always ask, like, where did you learn that? And then have it come back to you, especially if it's thought leadership, right? Especially if you're looking to be known for your ideas, you want other people talking about your ideas. And so, so few people ever take the time to think about how is this going to make somebody else look? We spend a lot of time thinking about how will this make me look? But how does it make somebody else look when they share it?
1: Brilliant. I love it. Mm-hmm. So, what is going on in Michael's world after February 11th <laughs> that we can share <laughs> and share with our friends?
0: Awesome. Well, I put together a um, referability rater um, where basically I ask you a bunch of questions about accessibility, influence, and memory. Um, and if you guys download that, uh, you then can you get an invite to the daily email if uh, if you want to be on the daily. Um, I also do a weekly. Uh, I basically take the best of my daily and I make weekly email if uh if you're just not ready to go on the fire hose yet um (laughs) you know kind of of thing he's into it (laughs) exactly Uh (laughs) um and then you know i'll probably be working um that that list is where you can find out about all my stuff um so if i'm working on you know some more programs or if i'm doing more jargon jump starts all that kind of stuff you can just reach out and and happy to chat
1: Okay, amazing. Well, I'll definitely link to that in the show notes. Um, you have you have showered us with so many goodies. Thank you so much for coming here. It's been so awesome catching up and thank you yeah. for sharing all of your wisdom and I'm great to like nice to see you um, yes. continuing to bl- trailblaze.
0: So yeah <laughs> and, and so awesome to see you and so awesome to see just all the cool stuff that you've been up to and uh, it was really fantastic to catch up. Thanks again.
1: To grab Michael's Referability Rater, go to piasilva.com backslash podcast. The link is in my show notes. Also, if you know other entrepreneurs who struggle to put their business in its place and could benefit from hanging out with us, please share this podcast with them. Hard work can only take you so far. It's really how you show up in the business that makes the difference. And to make sure that you don't miss an episode of Show Your Business Who's Boss, hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast player. Taking inspiration from Michael today, and there was a lot of it, how referable is your brand, really? Is it easy to share with others? Meaning, is it clear how to explain what you do for whom and how in a short, memorable sentence that makes the refer look really good when they refer you? It's simple, but not easy stuff, and it can make a world of difference in your business. When I changed my business from selling branding, wah wah, to selling one to three day brand ups and selling badass brands without the BS, the referrals just flowed to me like water in a way that they never did before. And really, it felt like almost overnight. And that's not an exaggeration. So work on the referability of your brand because that might just be your next step to showing your business who's boss. Show Your Business Whose Boss is produced by Yellow House Media. Production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode is edited by Marty Seafelt. Production assistance by Kristen Runvick. Our theme music is Glass Prisms by Western Runners.